along in our, we'll continue our Lenten series, this Lenten series of Do Not Be Afraid as we make our way um, to Easter. And if you want to change that title to the sermon on your bulletin, you can, to Do Not Be, a, do not be Afraid um, of Abundance. Sometimes the Holy Spirit has a way of working itself into um, your sermon writing and changing your idea of where you think it's going. Now, in Haggai, you can pick up um, the, the Old Testament um, reading of Haggai is on page 878 in the Old Testament section. If you aren't too familiar with Haggai, don't worry about it. That's okay. It's a small book, about two chapters. It's what we call a minor prophet. Uh, minor prophets don't mean they are less important than a major prophet. It just means the books are smaller. I remember when I was um, in the Old Testament class, they said, you know, turn to the book of Haggai. I, and I was sitting beside some, some guys who had been in um, undergrad, just graduated from undergrad school, and I was a little bit older. They had just majored in um, Christian education, and they turned right to Haggai. I'm over here looking at the index going, where is Haggai? Is there Haggai in the Old Testament? So don't be worried if you don't know where it is. Now, Haggai and the prophets, there's all kinds of prophets, and they have different kinds of messages. Some, some prophets have messages that, hey, look, change your ways. If you don't change your ways, um, we're going to lose everything that we have, the, the Israel and Judah or the Jerusalem. We're going to lose the temple. Change your ways. God is saying, change your ways. Change your ways. That's before the exile. Then you have guys um, who prophets during exile, so you may remember, they didn't change the ways, and they lost everything, starting with the northern Israel, then southern Israel, and then, and, um, and then finally uh, the, the Jerusalem. Then you have some prophets who are in, while we're in exile, they're saying, don't worry. There's a God of hope, a God of love, will come back. What happens is after they're in exile for some years, Another country come and took over the land, and they said, we'll try to make peace with the Israelites. And so they invited the Israelites to come back to their home. And this is where Haggai is. He's a prophet who, as now they're back from exile, after being taken away from their land, they're back now living back in, in Jerusalem, and Haggai is speaking to them as a prophet. So this is where we pick up. It's two chapters we'll pick up at the very beginning of the second chapter, verses 1 through 9. I invite you to listen to God's word. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to me, or speak, excuse me, speak to Zerubbabel, the son of Shetel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, the son of Josadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in the former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? Take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage, Joshua, the son of Josadak, the high priest. Take courage, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and what is desired by all the nations will come. And I will fill the house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of his present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, 
I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Friends, the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. This passage reminds me of the old song sung by Tennessee Ernie Ford. Let's see if Landon can play a little bit for us. Some people say a man is made out of mud. A poor man's made out of muscle and blood. Muscle and blood and skin and bones. A mind that's weak and a back that's strong. You load 16 tons. What do you get? Another day older and deeper in depth. St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. All right, thank y'all. Let me explain uh, why that song comes to mind. After the exile, the Israelites had been back in the land for about 18 years. When they first arrived, they began to rebuild the temple up. The temple had always been the focal point for the Israelites, a place where they could gather in community, a place where they could go and they could worship God. The idea um, to get the temple restored Restore relationships with each other, bring us back into community. Most importantly, restore relationships with God. If we do that, all will be well. But after a couple of years, the temple rebuilding just came to a complete stop. In part because of opposition from neighbors, but mostly because of their own need to improve their own lives. Particularly their living situation, and even more specifically, they were busy rebuilding their own homes, uh, rebuilding and starting new businesses, which all makes sense. Back from exile, they needed shelter, they needed food, they needed clothing, they needed to make a living. The temple construction stopped while they focused on their infrastructure. Almost 20 years have gone by, no temple. And this is where Haggai begins. In the first chapter, the prophet says, well, y'all have been out there constructing your panel houses, he calls them. The Lord's house is a complete mess. Yet, in spite of your investments, Haggai basically says, what do you have to show for it? You're not any happier. You're not prosperous. You're not fruitful. You planted much, Haggai continues, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but you're never filled. You put on clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them into a purse with holes in it. Seems to me with all this work, you still never get ahead. With all this work, you still are never satisfied. With all this work, you never have enough. He loaded 16 tons. What did you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me because I can go. I owe my soul to the company store. Scarcity is winning. And that was true for the Israelites some 2,500 years ago. And that doesn't take much to look around our world today to find that scarcity is once again on the winning team. In the culture and in life and in the church, it seems 
like we're being told that we have to live by what my mentor calls just a dim light of the assumption that most things that matter are scarce. Just a dim light of the assumption that most things that matter are scarce. A glance at today's news makes the case. Jobs are way too scarce for many. Safe places to live are few and far between. And those are no room in the safe places, they say. Food insecurity. It's a word that we've all gotten too used to. Justice is an endangered word in many parts of God's creation. We talk about racial inequality, or at least we talked about racial inequality a couple of years ago, but acting on it seems to be stunningly scarce. The abuse of women. The abuse of women, our partners at SAFE will explain, leaves us all sick and wondering. Love. Now, we all love to talk about love, but a persistent narrative in our culture is that you can't just love everybody. You can't respond to everybody and all of their needs. There has to be limits on our love. We hear today. Loneliness. Loneliness continues to get more and more prevalent in our day and age. Living alone, struggling alone, alone in a crowd, alone in a sanctuary. Community, we are told, community, scarce. Faith is scarce, at least if you believe those that would tell you that only if you live in a certain exact way and believe a certain exact way and follow a certain exact path, you will never get to God. Yeah, for many, faith is scarce. Now, stuff. We have an abundant amount of stuff, but then we have to insure the stuff, then we have to store the stuff, then we have to rent more storage to store that stuff, and then we have to build in order to house the stuff, then we have to take care of the stuff and worry about the stuff getting broken or better yet stolen, so we purchase alarms and cameras to protect the stuff, not to mention all the upgrades and add-ons for the stuff. Well, maybe stuff, maybe stuff, stuff. Maybe it's not so abundant after all. All the best intentions, all our living aims, all of our faithful service seems to be told there's not enough things that matter to go around. You loaded 16 tons. Why did you get another day older and deeper in debt? So Peter, don't you call me because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. A little over 50 years ago, Duke Ellington teamed up with the bass player Ray Brown to record a live performance of Ellington's song right in his living room. The original recording is a prize among jazz fans, not only because of the legendary status of these two musicians and the power of the musician. But also in that living room, they put microphones so close to these two legends that you could actually hear the sounds that they make on the effort they extend to produce this music. And one person described it as Ray Brown is right there across the living room fighting with that bass guitar at every single note. You could hear his grunts. You could hear Duke 
shifting in his chair. He could even hear him breathing. I don't know about you, but that's how I feel about God's promise of abundance in a world pressing in on us on scarcity. This is hard work. It is for us now, and it was for the Israelites 2,500 years ago. This is why I think Haggai asked the question that he asked. Turning to all those leaders at the time, Haggai says, Those left among us saw the house in its former glory days. How does it look now in two weeks? This is not some old man trying to live out, relive those glory days, saying things like, back in my day, there's always sunshine and roses. Back in my days, kids actually paid attention. No. In the minds of the Israelites, the temple is where God lived. Therefore, no temple, and no one was focused on God. No God, and everyone was focused on the individual self. If we phrase that question within the 21st century, we would ask, what does it mean to be the church? As we found out in COVID, being the church of the 21st century does not necessarily require large buildings anymore. However, it does require a community. More specifically, it requires unity. But Christian unity does not mean that we are all like-minded or share all the political views with one another or we all vote the same. Unity in the church does not live or die on uniformity. It doesn't even mean that the majority rules. The Holy Spirit is the one that rules. The Bible seeks unity on every single page. That's the focal point of the Ten Commandments. The the focal point of the Beatitudes is the focal point of Haggai's message. This is the covenant Haggai said to God with the Israels and with us. My spirit abides with you. The gift of God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, bringing us together, bringing us together in unity. As Israelites rebuilt their communities, they thought, they thought this was an optional. They thought it was optional, so they focused on self. We think this is optional, so we focus on the individual. This is not true. Not for the Christian faith. It is not true. It's not an option. Community is literally a commandment. Moreover, it is part of the covenant to God. We are told that we we have to rebuild the temple, we are told, because we have to gather together, young and old, black and white, rich and poor, liberal and conservative. Don't worry. Yes, we will disagree. We'll have strong opinions, but we'll be guided by the Holy Spirit that abides with us. This type of unity, Haggai reminds us, will require your work. It will speak out against the world's obsession with scarcity. 
And that is a lot of hard work to speak out against a world who is infatuated with scarcity. So God's covenant to us is that God will be with us, guiding us to not only look at each other with compassion, but to see this broken and vulnerable world with compassion and say to it, no longer, no longer will we take the fears of our neighbors, our friends, and our strangers and use that fear to exploit some advantage the way the world always does with those who are vulnerable. No longer will we allow people who say they follow Jesus and use religion to stir up hostility in the service of some partial truth. No longer, no longer will shout out, will we keep blaming the harassed and the vulnerable for every bit of their vulnerability. About a decade ago in Atlanta, it came out that there was a handful of folks living in housing assistance, but living in a fairly nice luxury apartment in the wealthy parts of Atlanta. And when the, this came to light, a group of wealthy homeowners became outraged and they demanded a public hearing right then and there. The night of the hearing came, the first person came up to the microphone and it was a young mother with a baby on her hip. She shared she, how she, um, when she found out that she was expecting, the father of her baby took her car and everything that they had and left left her with nothing. She had never seen that man ever again. She got a job as a maid at the local motel. And she told the hearing that she did not have the apartment. She couldn't walk to work. If she did, couldn't walk to work, she wouldn't have a job. If she didn't have the job, she couldn't feed her children. And she pleaded with the committee. But this little trial of assistant program continued. Please, she said. Please continue this program. There has to be enough room for me here. The very next person to the microphone was a homeowner who said that he and his wife had poured out their life savings into their home and they wanted the investment protected. And then he turned around and he looked at that mother and he said to her, I understand how you feel, but I earned mine. And now you have to go out and earn yours. He loaded 16 tons. What did you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. Then Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go. I owe my soul to your company store. We say no more of this type of separation, of this talking past each other on any value that is below or other than the gospel value, when all of us are swallowed by fear and pain. And yes, we're all swallowed by fear and pain. We live in a world that fears that there's not enough of God's love to be shared. And make no mistake. A world with this much scarcity is a world in pain. The good news, the good news for you and for me is that God knows this pain. 
Notice how many times the word courage is used throughout the passage. Take courage, Zerubbabel. Take courage, Joshua. Take courage, all you people. God knows when I just take courage to come together in unity. They take courage to live in a world defined by abundance. To live in a world, and this type of world means that we'll have to give up a life of scarcity. Lent then invites us to give something up every year. What if we did that? What if we gave up living a life of scarcity? And then we also travel with Jesus, which eventually will lead us to a cross. With Jesus' voluntary acceptance of undeserved suffering as an act of total solidarity with the pain that this world is facing. Revealed to us the mystery of God's abundant love also on that cross. A love that is initiated by God, a love that will come to even the depths of hell and refuse to let go. Lifting you and me just like God lifted Jesus until we're all brought together to God. It's a love that is so overwhelming. Gospel of Matthew says it's so overwhelming that it shook the world. On Easter morning, just like the prophet Haggai said it would, reminding us that the buildings come and go, but God's abiding, abiding love will never leave us. The temple that brings us and holds us together is Jesus Christ, giving us not the prosperity of scarcity, Revealing to us the prosperity of abundance, love. In the height of the Second World War, a war that highlighted the fear of scarcity, a, a war that was started by a man and a political party that feared scarcity. So much so, they said, we, there's not enough love. We have to get rid of this one group of people for us to have enough love. It's a war where scarcity is at its worst. There's highs and lows throughout that war. Cornelius Ryan writes a bridge too far and recounting one of those days when it's very difficult and unsuccessful engagements of the Allied troops in which the loss of life was abundant. The mission ultimately was unsuccessful. The British division had been decimated, almost wiped out completely. The wounded and the dying and soon to be captured soldiers are surrounded and they're waiting there at the very end. The chaplain struggling for something to say, for something to do, to convey something of God's peace, just keeps singing these words in his head. And that old hymn, it just kept coming back to him. So he, he began to sing the hymn out loud, that old hymn, Abide With Me. At first, the demoralized men just listened. And one by one, some began to hum and others began to sing those words softly to themselves. Against the thunderous barrage, hundreds of wounded and dying men took up the words. 
when other helpers fell and comfort flee. God of the helpless, abide with me. Early on Easter morning, God shook the world. And a new temple arose, reminding us that scarcity is no match for God's abundant love. Lent, Lent prepares us to be shook, inviting us, inviting um, us to come to church where together we will wrestle with God's inclusive temple. So inclusive that it actually includes you and me. Challenging us all to change the words at an old Tennessee Ford, Tennessee Ernie Ford's tune. St. Peter, when you call me, I'll be ready to go. Jesus paid my debts. I owe no one no more. 